Happy Friday, everybody. Before I get into my guest, I wanted to go over just a few housekeeping items. Um, I'm really focusing and switching away from Instagram and from Facebook. I'm switching fully to the Discord for the group and group messaging, and I'm focusing more on Twitter just for writing and, and stuff like that. Uh, so if you want to join the Discord, go to my website, Dalton K. Jensen. That's also where you can join uh, the newsletter. I'm starting a newsletter, a weekly newsletter, just to go over uh, past podcasts, upcoming podcasts, some trends I'm seeing, and just a lot of good value for you guys uh, in the small business space and things like that. So uh, go follow me on Dalton K. Jensen, join the Discord, follow me on Twitter at Dalton K. Jensen. And now let's roll into my guest. My guest is Tarek Fancy, who is the CEO, founder of Rumi which is a collection of short learning experiences called Bytes. Uh, they have a Wikipedia style where you can go on uh, and experts from around the spaces and personal finance and how to land your dream job, mental health, uh, history, anything like that. They have short Bytes uh, to learn all about it. And it's really changing the education space. It was a phenomenal to talk to him about it. They're a nonprofit organization and the organization is really focused on helping people learn who wouldn't have had another chance. So roomies can, can be operated completely offline, uh, meaning it's great for those people uh, who don't always have access to Internet, who want access to good education. And this is them. They're actually really changing the world. In fact, they are doing a lot of work in Afghanistan. The situation in Afghanistan, I'm sure, as you guys know, is heartbreaking uh, years of progress in girls and women's education and empowerment is at risk of going backwards in a country where the average age is 18 and nearly two-thirds are under 25 uh, of, of the women, excuse me. Um, despite the bad news on the ground, there's ways for us to help. So together, we can reach millions of learners on their mobile phones as soon as possible and with days, develop and distribute life lessons in vital areas such as safety, mental health, digital privacy, job, career skills, all that stuff. So if you guys want to donate to an organization that's really helping uh, those in Afghanistan, Afghanistan, excuse me, especially the women there and, and education and things like that, um, roomy.org is a great place to do it. So uh, they're already helping out thousands of people. Uh, they're helping out thousands of, of women with uh, language content, learning tools, all that good stuff. So if you feel so inclined, uh, please go to roomy.org uh, backslash donate. And uh, this interview was phenomenal. So without further ado, Tarek Fancy. Welcome, everybody. This is Don Jensen, and you're tuning into The Thinking Project. Well, I'm excited to have you here, Tarek. And uh, I appreciate, uh, you know, it got a little crazy last week with everything, but I'm glad we could uh, work it out, man. Yeah. Likewise. I'm glad to, glad to be on. Yeah, absolutely. So why don't we start like kind of at the beginning? I mean, I know a little bit about you. I've read your bio, but um, you know, what, what are you doing right now and how did it get started? So I'm kind of um, my main focus right now is running roomy. Yeah. And that is, you know, it's, it, we are actually structured, uh, we're a tech startup, but we're structured with a 501c3 nonprofit status because we have a Wikipedia like oh, wow. model 
Yeah, we have models kind of like Wikipedia where, where we have a community that, that it, we're growing that's creating lots and lots of great free micro-learning content. Micro-learning is all about sort of learning in five-minute bursts, you know, with short lessons on your phone, all mobile first. And uh, we'll be growing it, you know, really, really through the pandemic in particular. Is right when we launched it, and it showed a lot of traction. And that seems to be replacing social media, actually, for a lot of younger people. Uh, and, you know, allowing them to get a dopamine rush from kind of, you know, learning uh, new skills and, and uh, job life and career skills and, and things that, you know, what we, they kind of say is we didn't learn in high school, but we wish we had. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've always thought that was funny. Like um, they didn't teach us taxes in high school, but I got my accounting degree and my couple of tax classes were extremely boring. <laughs> I mean, useful, obviously, but, uh, but man, uh, I honestly, yeah, I bet everybody in class was ask, asking you for the, <laughs> everyone's asking you for the answers, right? Cause at some point, you know, no one wants to do that stuff. And even the people who study it find it boring. So yeah, it's like, Oh geez, tough. man, I don't know if I would have even paid it. But I think that's great because um, one thing that's always been on my mind that I think is cool with Rumi is how, you know, I'm just waiting for a big disruptor in the education space because it's it's got to come like because I just don't yeah. see I, I don't see brick and mortar like sit in a class for eight hours a day, go to four years of college and then and not get anything like no experience, you know. Or, or anything like that. You know what I mean? I just don't see that lasting very long. Yeah, it's got to change. You know, the, the the one thing that's really fascinating about education that I think everybody learned in the pandemic is the difference between giving people, learners in particular, students or mm -hmm. learners, the difference between giving them what they need versus what they want and need. So if mm -hmm. you think of it this way, the traditional model is you have a classroom and it's a captive environment, and you've got you know people sitting there for an hour for a lecture, and you're giving them all the stuff that they need, right? Because there's a curriculum, and you're saying you know here are the main things you're learning. There's a lot of questions around whether the curriculum really covers the stuff you need, like you know, like we're just saying, you know, how do how do you how the possibly graduate? You don't know how a mortgage works, <laughs> or how you know the credit card debt works. You know what I mean? Like these are the most yeah. important financial decisions you make. But even leaving that aside, imagine the curriculum is right. They're, they're, they're creating a learning experience by saying, here's what you need, and we're just going to drill it into your head. And they rely on the fact that they have a captive audience there. For 60 minutes as a lecture, if you or I are sitting in the class, we can't just jump out the window if it's really, you know, it's really boring, right? After like 10 minutes, like we're kind of stuck there. And oh, what's really true. fascinating, well, you know, what's interesting is that so in the, in the, in the pandemic, you know, people realize that you can't just digitize an in-person experience, Right. Because if you just take that experience and you just digitize it, you end up with a 60-minute video. And then you ask some kid who's sitting in their bedroom at home because their you know, school is closed or whatever, that, hey, why don't you, you know, why don't you sit and watch this 60-minute video? It's not the same thing anymore because that kid has a hundred other things they can do, right? Yeah. yeah. They're getting TikTok notifications, they're getting Instagram <laughs> notifications. So you know what I mean? Like if you're 10 minutes into that and you're like, this is boring, like I don't want to deal with this. You know, you can't get out of the classroom, yeah. but in this, you know, you just, you, you know, the notification pops up, you press the button, and next thing you know, you're watching a fun TikTok video. And so that's why our big focus is it can't just be what you need. People, you know, they have to, they have to also want it, right? It has yeah. to be engaging. It has to be fun. It has to be the kind of thing that someone who has a choice 
and is sitting at home and using technology independently mm -hmm. and is not a captive audience, you know, has to actually want to want to use because it's fun and engaging. And that's kind of our, our core focus. Yeah. So what are kinds of things that you focus on in this micro learning kind of micro education app? So one of the things that we focus a lot on is is getting content areas that meet the needs of learners. And so we're growing this community on Discord and elsewhere. And we just listen. You know, we're very much bottoms up and we say, listen, like, tell us the sorts of things that you're interested in learning. And of course, we have guardrails around that. Right. So you can't do it anywhere. But there's a there's a wide, wide range of things that are, you know, they're topical and quick moving. So like we have micro courses or, or what we call bites on like, what is an NFT, you know, the benefits of taking handwritten notes. It turns out there's all these cognitive benefits and you remember stuff better. You know, a lot of things that, um, that people want to understand, but there's no way the educational system, which moves so slowly is ever going to keep on top of them. And so we kind of, we kind of focus on those content areas that people care about. And, you know, in the last year, for example, mental health content has been a huge area. Of I course, you know, imagine. because it's a pandemic, right? People feel isolated. Um, and then we just focus on making it an enjoyable experience because we know that you can you can teach people better if you if you make it engaging and exciting. And like that's things like, you know, having animated GIFs or memes or other kind of fun things that are incorporated throughout. So it keeps people scrolling, keeps people engaged. It's enjoyable and they get to learn at the same time. Yeah, I heard a statistic when I was working with a videographer once I was having a conversation with him and he was talking about courses like. Like, you know, it was like some crazy, like short amount of time in between each graphic, like, like a video course have to has, has to have, you know, a graphic every 18 or 20 seconds for it to like stay engaging, you know, because like you said, it's yeah. like, I don't have to stay here. And, you know, you're not, you know, you're not right there. So if I leave, I'm not going to offend anybody. Yeah, it's like that captive audience. I really like how you brought that up because it's true. Like if you don't have a captive audience, is it really worth it for me? To that's say? exactly it. I mean, that's exactly it. People have a choice, right? And so, you know, if you don't keep them engaged, they're going to leave. And there's two ways <laughs> to view that, right? There's, you know, you have a lot of education purists and they'll say, well, you know, they'll see that people are using TikTok more. They have shorter attention spans. They're kind of, you know, they want that, that thing to hit. And so they're, they're not going to sit and wait for a long time and they get upset about it. And they say, this is not the way the world should be. And people should have longer attention spans and, you know, yada, yada, yada. You know, look, I mean, there are some good points they make in there, but our goal is to create impact, right? Our goal is yeah, to build a yeah. movement that help that really helps people. So we just have to deal with the reality and the reality is that whether we like it or not, you know, people, including myself, right. I use social media, right. I'm not going <laughs> to say I don't, but like I'm trained into having, you know, a shorter attention span a bit and looking for that, you know, that constant engagement. Otherwise I close, I close, you know, apps also, if they're not, if they're not, you know, fun and I switch to social media without even realizing it sometimes. Oh, for sure. I think all of us get in that kind of, you know, I'll move to the next thing, move to the next thing. But I think it's important to, that you're kind of changing with that. Right. Because it's, because, you know, one of the things that I did learn in like my time in like college and stuff. And since I've, you know, you know, I like to teach and I like to, I mean, specifically, I like to teach, like I like to, uh, you know, help people. And uh, one of the big things is like, if you can't, if you can't fit it in five minutes, you don't really know the subject. You know what I mean? If you can't, if you can't get it in snackable bites anyway, like, do you really know what you're talking about? I think one of the things that really kind of grinds my gears uh, is like, 
especially in like the education spaces, like people romanticize like hard, like you could never teach somebody about NFTs in five minutes. Why? Maybe not like all the nitty gritty stuff, but most of us don't care about the nitty gritty. Most of us just want to know. And yeah, you can. Hey, how you doing there? I just wanted to take a quick second and introduce myself. My name is Dre Raka. That's D-R-E-R-A-W-K-A. Yes, that is my legal first and last name. Don't at me. And I wanted to welcome you to my podcast, two of them. I have the Unrestricted Show with me, Dre Raka, and that's where I get to sit down with some of my friends and we chat about life. We chat about new businesses, just everything with me and my homies. And then I also have my other podcast called the Isolation 20 Podcast, where it is mostly just me and we talk about different things from sports to uh, movies and of course the are you dumb moment where I give somebody 15 seconds of fame for being completely dumb and you know I sprinkle in some pranks in there we have a lot of fun on that podcast so definitely come on over and uh, give me a listen give me a a a try trial version if you will allrock.com is where you can find me that's a-l-l-r-a-w-k.com and I hope you have the day you deserve totally I I couldn't agree more there's this sort of almost fetishization. It's almost like a, a protectionist <laughs> thing or it's like, I know this thing and I'm so proud that I know this thing that I want to make it seem like a really impressive thing to know, right? That no one else knows. It's kind of like me, I can dunk a basketball and that sounds awesome <laughs> until someone looks at the net and it's six feet off the ground. You realize everyone can dunk it, right? So it's kind of like one of those things where, you know, you want to, ele- people want to elevate it and all. And the reality is, I think it, I think it was, might've been Einstein or a lot of uh, sort of the, the, the most, intelligent folks in society throughout history have made this point that exactly what you said, right. Is that to truly know something, you know, you need to be able to translate it into terms that, uh, meet the audience, right. Meet the mm-hmm. audience where they are. And so I used to have an old boss when I started work, first started working, he used to say to me, he said, listen, explain it to me. Like I'm an eight year old. <laughs> this guy was super intelligent. Right. But he knew that, you know, people get stuck in all these areas, the peripheral areas, the corners, the weeds, and he wanted to know a quick and simple understanding of what the big pieces are. And he wanted to know also that the people who worked for him knew the stuff well enough that they could like kind of translate and repackage it um, however needed. Right. And that was a true mark of, of like comprehension. Right. I think another, yeah, a way that comprehension and like how the world works. I read uh, a tweet that went viral that was like, that said like, you know, professor, write an eight page paper. <laughs> me pitching an investor, you've got 60 seconds. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, exactly right. Heck? People, I know it's like people will swipe off. I'll tell you a funny story about attention spans yeah. on uh, TikTok. We were doing a video for Rumi. It was trying to promote something and we were, we were hiring someone and we do a lot of stuff around helping people get a job, right? Even pioneer something called TikTok CVs, which is like a supplemental thing where you oh, can cool. get to express yourself. Yeah. So some cool stuff in there. And so we have a couple people on the team who know TikTok really well. It's not something that I would call myself an expert in. And so I shot um, a short video and um, one of the people on the team, she's saying, listen, um, can you just speak a bit faster when you say it? And so I did it like three or four times. She kept saying the same thing. In the end, um, I saw the video that we actually posted and she just like used some software to speed it up. And it's funny because I'd been always taught that for public speaking, you know, you want to go out there and speak slowly. So I, I would say, Hey, my name is Tarek Fancy and I am the you know founder of Romy or something. In reality, in TikTok world, what my, my own team members knew better than I did was that like, 
if I speak at that speed, like within two seconds, someone's swiping off. You know what I mean? It's like, hi, my name is boop. And the finger comes and they just swipe to the next video. And so they had actually sped it up to the point. It sounded like I was on crack. I was like, Hey, I'm talking fancy. How are you doing? And it's, it's, you know, it just kept people linked into it. Otherwise, otherwise, you know, the algorithm is just like people would say, oh, forget it. Yeah. People just, people I'm just go past it. It's true though. I think TikTok just updated. Like, I think you can do three minutes now, but before it was 60 seconds. Right. Yeah. And it was like, it bananas. challenges you to get a lot in there. It's yeah. It's like, it's like, it's like, it's like tweeting in some sense. Right. I'm not a, yeah. I'm not a huge fan of Twitter, but it's like, you know, it does, it does, you know, it does force you to like be quite, yeah. you know, succinct in whatever you're saying. Well, I think that's interesting because, um, you know, one of the biggest lessons I had to learn in sales uh, and in like marketing copy and all these things is like, you know, keep it short and sweet. Like you're like, and then I realized, like, I found myself doing that. Like, I don't want to sit here and listen to that. Like, I need you to give me the 60 seconds and I'll tell you if I like it or not. You know what I mean? So it really challenges you, but it's also a, a really good thing. I feel like we're going there. But let me ask you, like, what are, what made you start Rumi? Like, what, take us back to the beginning. What were you doing before Rumi? Are you trying to be like an education disruptor? Or like, what what's going on? So... Uh, I got to Rumi in a sort of roundabout way. I had this deep passion around doing something for so, with social impact. Like I wanted to do something that I was proud of and that yeah. I felt was contributing to the world. And I was always passionate about education because my, my parents grew up in Kenya and my grandparents. And, you know, I've, I've visited and seen the the inequalities, right? And and how fortunate we would be in North America to get access to, you know, to realize our potential through education. And so I was always interested in it. And what really pushed me over the edge. I had a very close friend from business school who, you know, he and I both want to do social impact stuff someday. And, you know, we just kind of went back to finance because that's where I'd spent over 10 years of my career in, in investment banking and and, um, and investing. And uh, and he and I would both say we're going to do something good for the world. And then we never really got around to it. And then one day he was <laughs> suddenly diagnosed with stage four cancer. Um, oh. And that was, you know, that was, yeah, it's, it's really tough. You know, it was like, it came out of nowhere. And, you know, in that situation, he had, it wasn't even like, I'm going to do something someday. It was, you know, now or never thing. And so he created a, mm. uh, a, a charity doing work in Kenya, actually, which was amazing. He was a, you know, blonde or blue eyed guy from Holland. Um, <laughs> and he was, you know, out there, you know, it's really what gave him meaning. And so that, that pushed me off the edges of diving board to do Rumi. And, it, you know, throughout our whole view was always that we want to listen to the learner. We want to listen to the person using it. And not be top down and say, oh, we have this perfect theory and you need to take this thing because we've you know, figured it out. We said, listen, the only way we're going to create impact is if we listen to the people and see what they want. And then we'll figure out how to merge that with what they need, right? The key educational things. And you get something that, you know, has the potential that we're now seeing where it's skyrocketing and people are, you know, really kind of adopting it quickly. Yeah, that's great. Uh, I like that you said, listen to the learner. I like the, you know, that's a crazy story. I mean, that's a really powerful story. One of the reasons I love doing this podcast is because I feel like most people like the origin story. You know what I mean? Like we like the, we like the intention and the, you know, and the obstacle and, and how we came over, like overcame this stuff and, and, and worked through it. And, and that's a, that's a great story, but I mean, it's probably one of the most important though. You know, I think education is what really frees people. Especially, I mean, yep. I, I I feel like that's one of the things that I benefited, you know, I, cause, 
because going through college, like when I was going through college, like it was huge. I mean, there were like, you were either like, you know, it was almost like you were either pro, you know, pro college, like pro institutional colleges or like a college basher. Like there was nothing in between, (laughs) you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and for me, it was like, no, I want to go to college because I feel like I have that opportunity. You know what I mean? And, And for me, it was a personal decision. Like I don't even use my accounting degree. Like I know all the things I, I ran a tax business firm for a little bit. And, and I, I mean, I, I keep up to date on all my knowledge, but like for, it was just for me, but eventually, but, but one of the things I started with was like, why, like, why wouldn't we go to school and learn something? You know what I mean? Like it's right here. Like yeah. some people don't get this. Absolutely. I mean, you know, we're, we're spoiled in the sense that we even have access, right? Because right. there are, all these studies showing that, you know, there's like girls in Rwanda who are as capable as, as we are, but their math and reading scores or, you know, their level of knowledge, literacy are just significantly below because they've yeah. never received access. Um, and even now you see that, you know, kind of like your example, it, we're evolving ourselves to a, a version of the world that is less structured where it's like, oh, I need to be in this classroom or I need to be in this university degree. And it's like, you know, there, there's, there's um, stuff like what we're doing, which is supplemental, right? And it's, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it fills in key areas that people want and need and are not getting um, mm-hmm. in this, in the traditional system. And I think as a lot of the learning goes more online and it becomes a bit more learner centric, where it's driven by the curiosity of the learner and what they're passionate about, and it sort of adapts and gives them more of that, more than just like a really structured curriculum only where it's like everybody must do X, Y, and Z. I think you, you'll get to a place where um, hopefully more people will see themselves um, through the educational system, you know, advancing in a way that they really, that they're really um, interested in themselves, right? Like it's not like you wouldn't be just doing a degree because it's for the sake of it. You might actually find that you start to find and learn and uh, evolve in a direction that you're really passionate about and that you want to learn. And I think that's, that's the beauty of, of education, right. Is, is tapping into that because everybody has it, right. Everybody mm-hmm. has it and is, is intrigued. It's a human, almost like a, a basic human uh, uh, need, but, um, but, you know, so often it's not given to people in a way that they can, they can really sort of appreciate or that like kind of works for them. Right. And you see a lot of people who are super smart and they're super creative, but the education system is is super structured and it didn't really work for them. Yeah. I always felt like I had the, you know, parts of the education system specifically when I was growing up, like failed me, like all of growing up, I really believed that I didn't like reading, but I just didn't like what they were giving me. You know what I'm saying? I was like, yep. what the heck? But I have a question kind of like focusing back, kind of coming back to like Rumi. Um, how do you guys, and this is a question that I ask whenever I, I interview people in like this education, like disruption or education innovation space where, where we're trying to like, you know, come forward. Cause I think, I, I mean, it's, you know, you got places like Udemy, you got places like uh, Coursera, LinkedIn learning, like, how do you, because one of the reasons like I, you know, people still feel like they have to go to a four-year university is because people feel like there's credibility at these places. Like they've, they've built up some yeah. kind of credibility. And so how do you combat or how are you focusing on credibility? 
because I'm not saying that you're not correct. Like I think knowledge is knowledge. Right. But, but I feel like in order to, for this totally to shift, we have to figure out this credibility bit. Yeah, you're right. I mean, there's always the question of credentials, right? Yeah, there's yeah, a, there's yeah. a sort of an old argument in the space is that is the value of getting a, you know, a degree is that, the what you learn right because you you learn a lot of stuff and that's considered what's called the treatment effect and then the idea is well maybe it's not what you learn it's just the fact that you walk out with a diploma right and then that's considered the signaling effect right because it doesn't really matter what you learn it's the fact yeah. that you have the diploma lets people realize oh you must know a bunch of stuff or be reasonably intelligent or whatever and yeah. um and for us you know right now i mean we're we're very focused on sort of attracting learners to to spend their time on it because they enjoy it. But yeah. the next thing that we're working on and thinking about is exactly the idea of micro-credentialing, right? So yeah. the idea being that you don't, you, you can't, you know, credentials that could be a university degree, obviously that's pretty, that's a big investment of time and, and resources and money. Yeah. But, you know, you can learn a lot before that at the sort of what's called the top of the funnel, right? And five minute lessons to even figure out where you want to go next, like where you want to dig deeper, whether yeah. it's Coursera or this or that. And so that's where we tend to specialize in Rumi, right? Is that discovery phase? And so there's there's room to add credentialing to it, but in many ways, it you know it also can be viewed as something that like, you know, it's not it's less about the actual credential, the badge, and more about the discovery and the love of learning and using that to get through the funnel and figure out actually where you want to dig deeper. That's a great point, because I remember having a conversation with uh, my brother-in-law who was trying to figure out what he wanted to do in college. Because I'm like, look, I don't I, you know, because I tell people like I'm not a college bathroom and obviously there it is. Right. Like, um, mm. but I do tell people like you want to know you don't want to waste your time. Like you don't want to change your major 18 times because you don't know. So I had that exact conversation with him. I was like, you should go to Udemy or some of these other places by like. 10 courses for 20 bucks and like all over, like, you know, I want to learn about these 10 things. Right. So you go buy them and then you yeah. really see if like you want to buy them or not, because like, that would be great for people. Like, okay, here's a five minute micro course on coding and it'll give you enough information to see if you like it or not. And if you don't like it, you really, you didn't, you know what I mean? Absolutely. I mean, it's, 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 you know, it's things like that. Like a lot of the content that we've been adding and it's all again response to what people are asking for. It's like right. stuff like you know, um, how do I you know how do I get a job? And at first we were saying sort of like giving con like we were building micro courses on like you know things relating to improving your CV and perfecting it. How to you know the subtleties of creating that so you get you create the best impression because yeah. there's a lot of there's a lot of really good you know simple tricks that that people don't don't use because they don't I guess they don't know them. Um, but, you know, there's stuff like, you know, how do you get, you know, how do you uh, improve your CV? How do you interview? And what's interesting is a lot of the stuff that's really that's really catching on is like, what should I even do? So the idea is like, to your point on coding, it's like you 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 do five minutes and you learn just enough. And then you could do a few other ones. And that way you, you kind of like, you could sort of taste the beginning, right? The discovery yeah. phase of like, you know, because again, you could learn coding online in a whole bunch of places free online. Yeah. But the completion rates are really low, right? People sign up and then they're sort of like a little bit into it and they're like, yeah, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. And it's hard to know if you want to like finish an 18 hour course, if you don't really know <laughs> enough about anything. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh, uh, no, I was, I'm, I'm totally agreeing with you. 
you said that, um, you know, it's kind of shifting to like, people are asking like, what should I do? But you mentioned like interviews and resumes. Um, I've always had kind of a similar, the way I feel about education is the way I feel about kind of like resumes and, and interviewing. Although I don't really, I have ne- I haven't met somebody who's kind of disrupting that space yet, but like I've been in sales my whole life and I just feel like resumes and maybe not interviewing, but like resumes are kind of going away because I don't know, can, does, do they really matter that much? Or like, what do you, what are your kind of things on like resumes? What do you think the future of resumes are? That's a really good question. I, I think that they will eventually change in form, but I think something like that will have to exist. And so, sure. you know, the way we think about it is that like you can, you know, if, if, if the game requires you today to have a resume and it, and it doesn't, if you're, you know, if you're starting your own business or you're sure. maybe doing something startup oriented or you meet people through your network. So sometimes it doesn't, but usually you still have to, and yeah. people just have to play, play that game. Um, and so it's a little bit about saying, you know, how can, you know, we find, um, ways to help people improve them, right? Like it's better if you have numbers in your resume, it's better if you use certain words and describe certain things in, in certain ways, yeah. you know, even, even the most, um, bland background can have a great looking CV. If you, if you go through all the tips and you use the best practices, right. But, you know, I think you're right. Like that form is probably going to change, right. That, that's kind of why we were thinking like the TikTok CV thing I was talking about, you know, it's something we started doing and it was, it, it's a cool idea because it doesn't replace a resume, right? I mean, the whole thought of a TikTok CV will scare someone, especially <laughs> as the, the older they are, right? They'll say, oh my goodness, what, what's going on? But um, but the truth is, it's just a way to add to your resume and, mm-hmm. you know, be almost supplement and you get to show a little bit of your personality and it's, you know, it's it's natural and normal for a certain generation that have grown up doing this all the time. Yeah, so explain to people who don't know what a TikTok resume is, like, what is it? And how did they use it? I mean, the simplest thing is that it's a 60 second, like, or it's a TikTok video that mm-hmm. adds on to your existing resume and it allows you to show, bring it to life, show a personal narrative, right? Show a bit of your personality in a way that doesn't come out in just, you know, uh, a CV. And, you know, the name of the game these days is you got to stand out, right? Because it's the pile of, hundred CVs. <laughs> you you want yours to be good, um, but you also want yours to stand out. And so, if you have something like that, you know it's just an extra edge, you know that helps you express yourself to people and show creativity. But for many roles, it actually is very very applicable, right? Because you get a chance yeah. to show someone a bit of, of of your work and you know how you present and so on and so forth. Yeah, especially well, I remember in 2020, um, you know, I was one of the ones that had to look for a job. And it was all about cold emailing and uh, these 60 second videos. And it was hard because like, you know, if you took a tr- like, okay, like a traditional class in college would be like, you know, don't put your picture on the the thing or like, don't include a lot of, you know what I mean? You want to try to remove bias yeah. from there, from your resume right. almost. And I'm like, right. why though? I want you to be biased. <laughs> like if you like yeah. me, you know what I mean? But like, not not in a bad, I'm not talking about like a discriminatory way, right? But I'm saying like Of course, yeah. But I'm saying like I have a personality, like that's why you buy me. That's why people buy stuff from me is cuz like I'm, you know okay. what I mean? Of Dalton. And same thing yeah, with you. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Well, you know, that's really it, right? Cuz you, you know, I understand the the goal to sort of remove bias, but it's one of those things where it's like, you know, um 
you you also want people to be able to express who they are as an individual because that's the point of the interview anyway, right? You're eventually going right. to get to an interview and what you want to do is kind of stand out, you know, and stand out in a way that gets you to that interview stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, and that comes with like your personality. I remember interviewing at an accounting firm where like, you know, I got the job, not really because like I was better than anybody, but because like when I got in there, I just had this weird background of like, you got a sales guy who's has like 10 years of sales experience. And now he wants to be like a staff accountant. You know what I mean? And like yeah. my whole sales thing was like, yeah, but I can talk like, but I'm like, I'm not just a staff account. I'm like your liaison because what's where's all the friction in an accounting part? Well, it's with sales because they don't understand and we don't understand them. And and so it was like, I didn't really know anything more than anybody. Like I wasn't exceptionally qualified, but like it was me. Like that's what I, you know, you know what I'm saying? So yeah, yeah no, I love, absolutely. I mean, I love TikTok. That's so crazy. big, right? It's fit. <laughs> I'm here. I, I, I'm not great at TikTok, but you know, I mean, there's a lot of people who are and who can benefit from, you know, trying creative angles like that. But just like a 60 second video, like, I mean, I mean, I, I like the branding of like TikTok, right? Because it kind of like makes people think and like, but just a 60 second video, I think that's like incredible. And so you're seeing, so what you, you know, li, you know, you listen to learners. It's, you know, you mentioned it's kind of switching to like, what do I like, you know, what do I want to do? But, but are there any specific things that people are like, wanting to learn like requesting to learn about or yeah there's a bunch i mean the areas that have been popular and have grown a lot are around you know mental health around financial literacy around getting a job um the areas that i think you know we honestly the tagline we now use because it's what people tell us it is exactly you know it's the things that you wish you learned in school but didn't right yeah. um and but they're important things to know and you either didn't learn it because they didn't cover it, like financial literacy, um, which is a shame, yeah. or um, it's just not covered well, or it's out of date. So again, you're not going to learn in the school system how like, I don't know, cryptocurrencies work or, you know, yeah. sort of like mm-hmm. a lot of sort of more cutting edge things. And so we're able to kind of, you know, I mean, in, in one sense, we have a real benefit because our, our charity status and mission. So we're kind of, you know, 513C3, it's charity, uh-huh. it's, it's structured like Wikipedia. but that. Um, Status and mission ensures that we'll never sell people's data or use oh. it in any way, any way other than to empower them to learn, right? And so it's interesting because, you know, a lot of other companies, you know, we live in a world where the opposite is the expectation, right? You know, you have um, people, you know, they're, they're trying to suck your data out and they're trying to use it to like <laughs> keep you on the platform to sell ads or they're trying to, you know, sell you more stuff. And so yeah. we're taking that data and then we're using it to sort of figure out what's better for you. And that tends to guide then where we go with how the content is structured, what are the areas we want, you know, where are the areas yeah. that are popular. So all we're doing is saying, let's, let's use all the information and the data we're getting. And it's like, how do we make it? How do we use that to bring value to the learner? And it's through creating content that they want, that's valuable, that there's, you know, there's more of it. And so they're, you know, they're able to continue their sort of that quest, right? It's a learner-centric quest that's driven by the learner's curiosity. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I mean, but then it becomes more meaningful, right? Like if you are involved in making the plan, you have ownership over the plan. And now if something messes up, like it's not like, oh, they made me do this and they they suck at teaching me. It's like, well, no, I contributed to this. And so I'm going to make this work. It's like, you're putting ownership of learning back into the hands of like students. 
And I think yeah. that's more important, right? And back to like some of these things like school, what school never taught me. You know, I used to be like really, I used to get really irritated. Like, why didn't you teach us about this? Like, dude, I don't need to balance a checkbook. I have like an app on my phone that literally does it for me in real time. You know what I mean? Right. Um, yeah. But it's like, but I just don't think like they knew. Like, I don't think the teachers knew. Like, I, the credit cards were new back then. Like, most of those, most of those teachers were getting into credit card debt. They were just like, oh, we don't know about this because the first credit card ever invented. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it, it's hard to teach something if you didn't learn it yourself in the first place, right? Um, and it's yeah. hard to understand that you need to teach people, right? And so you add those up with the fact that the education systems in most states moves, they move really slow, right? They're just very really risk slow. averse and they have, yeah. yeah, they have like a curriculum committee and all these things. And so, <laughs> you know, if in the next year or two, everyone realizes you need to do, you know, you need to start learning about, you know, this or that area, it's not clear that they can ever react fast enough. And that leaves a, a large void where people now can, you know, use an internet yeah. connection and search and find that information on their own. And then the question is, you know, where are you getting it from and is it quality or not? Yeah. And I, and I, you know, and that's like the, well, that's the whole credibility discussion is like, where did, you know, does it like, does what you learn actually benefit whatever you're, you know what I mean? Other people, mm -hmm. generally speaking, it's did, is, did you learn something that benefited and then how do you prove it? Like social proof. Right. Um, but I, one of the other things I think is tough for like schools is like for you guys, I mean, you're like, Oh, we're learning about this new thing you know, we, we tell, we should just throw it up there and it's like done is, is better than perfect. Right. But schools have like this weird, like it's gotta be perfect. And, and like, which is very strange um, because like schools don't care. There's no ROI for schools. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like, Oh, if we don't, if we teach this wrong, the, then we're not going to get paid. Like schools don't have to go through that. Right. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> It, it's a tough, you know, it's, you're right. It's a tough one. I think often what happens is that the school systems, like they're kind of governed by committees and other people who have deep educational backgrounds mm. and, you know, they have a PhD in education from this or that place. And sometimes that can be helpful because they understand it well enough that they can adapt right to yeah. a new reality, which is a, Hey, by the way, like suddenly every single young person in your class has a smartphone and they're like addicted to it. And, you know, teachers didn't understand that some years ago. Now, suddenly they're like, how do I deal with this? And um, yeah. it creates a lot of opportunities. But then the problem is that often they're very slow to, ex to exploit them. Because even if an individual teacher wants to do it, like they can come and work with us. And they can bring, you know, they can bring micro learning for free to their classrooms. But to get the entire school district or the state to do it, doesn't matter how good it is. You're going to be waiting years, right? Because it's just... It just don't move very fast. Yeah, which is, I mean, I don't get it. It's just, it's just weird. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't understand, but it, it's really yeah. unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah, it is what it is. So besides Rumi, what else do you have going on? Or is that your main focus? That's your all in all chips are down on that one. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm that's where I'm, I spend my focus daily. Right. Cause I, uh, you know, I, I found what, what happened was I founded it. I left finance in 2013. I founded Rumi. We grew it to doing stuff around the world. We were in the, you know, actually started out doing uh, a lot of poor, poor countries and places where they had very little because we knew that, you know, you can you can prove it out in a place like that and they don't mm -hmm. have an alternative. And you've suddenly given them something that's like massively superior. It, you know, it's technology based, but it works offline and a, yeah. a bunch of things that 
that make it easy. Um, and then if we grew it, um, I ended up stepping back for a couple of years and I went back to finance for a period. And so I joined uh, BlackRock, which is the world's largest asset management firm. They have mm-hmm. $9.5 under management. That's trillion with a T. So very, very large. Um, and I joined them for a couple of years to be their chief investment officer for sustainable investing. The oh, sustainable wow. investing is <laughs> people call, yeah, impact yeah. investing or ethical investing or responsible investing or as a new acronym, ESG, right? Environmental, social, and corporate governance. You so know, what factors. is that? So what what is the what is sustainable investing? What's you know, what's that mean? It's honestly, it's really just um the idea is that you make investments uh that unlike the old days where you make an investment only looking for a financial return and you don't care what you're investing in underneath it. You're not, you don't, you're not concerned with the ethics or anything else. You're just trying to, you know, just trying to make, make as much yeah, money as you return, can. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Which is not a bad thing because you're often people are legally obligated to do that and so on. But you know, the idea then is um, that you could, you could basically invest in, and get a good return and make the world a better place at the same time. Right. Yeah, and that's so like maybe, you know, sort of a double bottom line. So like maybe you're not investing in I don't know if you don't like oil maybe you're not investing in oil or something like that maybe you're investing in yeah, like yeah. Tesla or so I don't know I don't know but you kind exactly. of the idea it's stuff like that okay. exactly it's 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 stuff that is uh, doesn't uh, you don't want to be investing in the companies that are underpaying their workers destroying and polluting sure. the environment you know sure. basically harming all of us harming the public interest you want to invest in the ones that are the good companies. But here's the funny thing about all that stuff. Uh, the second thing I've been doing on the side is that basically calling BS on all that stuff, because having, you know, being in a central position at what's the l- largest asset manager in the world, it's kind of like a vantage point over capitalism, right? You almost, it's like a microcosm of capitalism all within one firm. I came to the conclusion that um, that really uh, the only bottom line that was benefiting was the firms that were selling all these brand new products, these green funds. Because if yeah. you if you look underneath the hood, the financial mechanics of all that stuff, you know, you realize that actually, no, no, the world isn't changing. No impact is being created. All they're doing is kind of moving around, you know, um, you know, is moving around uh, money and moving out shares in the markets that are already traded, and then they're finding yeah. ways to repackage it and sell it for higher fees. Yeah, I was gonna say, I, uh, you know, one of my favorite subjects to read on is like uh, talk about. Talk about slow. One of my favorite subjects to read on is like the the um, you know financial crisis of 08. Some of the things like Enron. I like to learn about that kind of stuff. And so like it's just yeah. you know that's it's just crazy because yeah I, I think you're you're right like it, you know you're so you said your other thing was exposing that stuff. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> Pretty much is you know it's interesting. It's kind of like it's linked to Rumi in the sense that Rumi is about making learning easy and fun. Yeah. And so we're actually have a few micro courses and we're starting to grow that out on helping people understand how the economic system works. And it's yeah. it's important precisely because if people don't know the details of how it works, you know, at a personal level, you know, it's kind of like if I don't have financial literacy at a personal level, how am I gonna decide to buy a house or take mm-hmm. on debt or you know, make mm-hmm. big budgeting and financial decisions? But at a societal level, it's also important that people understand at least some basics around how economics and finance works. Otherwise you end up in a situation where, you know, wall street is able to sell a bunch of products that are frankly, this it's all marketing and spin for the most part. Right. <laughs> like credit um, default. You know, swaps very, or... 
yeah, these things that are kind of like confusing and, 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 you know, uh, and, yeah. and difficult to understand. And, you know, the challenge is that, uh, if you have, uh, if people aren't empowered with the knowledge to understand how the system works and how the pieces work, they'll get, um, roped in, you know, they'll, they'll get kind of duped into like buying these funds or believing Wall Street's doing this or that. And the truth is what I realized, and it's exactly like the financial crisis, is that the mm -hmm. only way to make sure that what Wall Street's doing is serving the public interest, is serving all of us, is regulation, right? I'm not like a big fan of like the government coming in and putting rules everywhere, but like, it's kind of like but a sports game, right? At some point. Yeah. You need some, right? It's a competitive endeavor. Like think of competitive sports. It's yeah. impossible to have a competitive sport without rules and referees. Competitive markets yeah. are the same. You don't want too many referees or, or too many rules. You know, you want to let the yeah. game happen. But at some point when people are playing dirty and they're punching each other in the face and, you know, the game just evolves. <laughs> and that's kind of what's happened with capitalism, right? Is like companies are polluting and they're underpaying workers and they're doing a whole bunch of things that are frankly making people lose faith in capitalism, unfortunately. Um, you know, you, you, need, yeah. you need an answer and, and, and it, I think the system needs to be fixed, uh, but it hasn't been yet. And unfortunately, it hasn't really been fixed after the financial crisis either, right? right. We're still well, yeah. I mean, awaiting. It's kind of yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, what what happened a, a couple Mondays ago? I mean, I think Monday, what I think the U.S. hit the ceiling, the debt ceiling, right? And so now like, we're trying to figure out what to do. Yeah. And it, but it's just crazy because you're right. I like what you said because I I was you know I think uh, one of my favorite other you know it actually went viral on TikTok, but this guy he mm -hmm. was like he, he it just showed his face and then he was like um it just showed his face and he was like why I'm not, you know, when people ask me why I'm not Democrat or Republican and then it panned to like his bookshelf. <laughs> and I was like, and I was like, dude, that's true. Like when you start learning about these things, you really find out that like the truth is the truth is in the middle because that's what happened with me. It was like, I used to be like, you know, I used to have certain viewpoints, but I like, I really like what you explained there that, you know, it's, you need some rules. It's like sports wouldn't be fun if we could do whatever we, if we could change the rules. In the middle of the yeah, game. exactly, exactly, and, some, and you know, there's this weird. No, you're absolutely right. Like, you know, there's this weird, you know, there's this weird idea on that point about rules where people talk about a free market all the time. They keep saying sure. the free market, we should leave it to the free market, and I'm always like, what are you talking about? There is no such thing as a free market, right? Like, okay. if you think about every, if, you know, you find a lawyer and you ask them, they'll tell you, well, you know, a market is a collection of rules, right? The rules that govern. Already today, like, can we pollute, you know, these rules that govern private property, intellectual property rights, mm -hmm. taxes on, you know, fees on different And all of those rules exist for a reason, right? Because we want a healthy competition, right? That's what capitalism is. Healthy competition to innovate and build the best product. But you want to do it without, like, lead in your food. You know, you, you can't have, like, <laughs> you know, baby seats that yeah, blow yeah, up yeah. or, you know what I mean? Like, you know, poisonous, yeah. like, baby food or whatever, like. Someone's got to make sure it's 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 reasonably safe, and and that's the that's the key thing, right? There there is no such thing in free market. There's rules, and those rules need to be updated every so often. And on, I'd say, unfortunately, the biggest challenge in the U.S. today is that there's a lot of money in politics, right? And when yeah. you have an ability for the most powerful interests that are collecting all the profits to then turn around and use some portion of that 
to block the system from getting changed, which of course is what they would want to do because they want to protect their profit stream, then yeah. you end up with a system that doesn't really seem to like adapt to the realities and the needs of the public in a meaningful way. And then you get um, you get a lot of anti-establishment pushback. You get political upheaval and you know a whole bunch of things that you know. Yeah. I, I hope we can fix it right before before you know it's too late. You know, the society, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Before, before it's too late. You know, society before... turns. Yeah. Yeah, before we run out of time. I I like what you said about, you know, defining what a free market is, because you're absolutely right. It's, you know, I think what, why that, why that resonated so much with me is because like, I'm a total sports guy and and it, and it 100% makes sense. Like, yeah, you can't, you can't be in the middle of a football game and decide that on fourth down, you have two yards left that now actually we're not, we're going to change it from 10 yards to eight yards. And now I have a first down, like. That's yeah, exactly. stupid. You can't do that. And, you know, and then people, and it's kind of like, that's happening. I see that happening everywhere, both sides, all, all the sides, whatever, where it's like, where it's like, like, no. And then they hide that, they hide that excuse behind like, oh, well, this is a free market. And it's like, well, no, the, you just changed the rules, man. It's not a free market. You just decided that exactly. it didn't work for you. So now you're going to change it. That doesn't yeah, make exactly. sense. <laughs> yeah. The free market argument is always used either by people who, they're like, no, 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 leave it to the free market. And they're saying that either because they just like the status quo because it benefits them and they don't want anything getting changed, or mm-hmm. in some way they have some ability to change the rules and, and frankly rig them in their favor. And so they, you know, the last thing yeah, that you want. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, yeah, it's it's irritating. But no, <laughs> I appreciate I appreciate that though, man. I appreciate your time. So how do people like find roomy uh, website, stuff to download, like Go ahead and plug it all, man. You know, so here, here's what I'd say. Anyone listening, I would say, I'd, I'd issue a quick challenge to you, which is to go to roomie.org. It's R-U-M-I-E.org. So it's really easy. Just pull it up on your phone or your computer, wherever, whatever you're on. And find, I challenge people to find something that doesn't pique your curiosity or that you've always wondered about, but you didn't have the time to research, you know, like, like NFTs or, or other things. Mm-hmm. And see how fast and efficiently you can grasp the, the contours of that topic, right? In like five minutes, and suddenly you know it. You do a couple of short quizzes, and you're done, and it's a fun experience. And um, and if you find one that's really cool like that, you know, the challenge is share it with someone else, right? Because all of what we're doing is open and free. All of the data is used anonymously to bring value back to the public and to the to the learners, right? To all mm-hmm. of us. And um, the truth is, it's like we're at the early, early-ish stages of building what will be the Wikipedia of free microlearning. And within that, I think there's a real opportunity, um, you know, to to grow this. It's 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 you know, it's less about Rumi as a an organization and more of a movement of people doing it because all the content's created by skilled volunteers. And so, you know, there's wow. lots of ways to take part. Um, but we encourage people to say, listen, like, join us, right? Come share it. But but first and foremost, try it out and see if you. I challenge people to find something they're not interested in because I've done that a few times and no one <laughs> ever, you know, didn't find something that was cool and shared with someone else. All right, deal, man. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, and I'm glad that I was able to take your time and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll chat again, man. Looking forward to it. Thanks for having me on.